because I'm the third lead pastor uh, as part of uh, the, in the history of this church. And so in the last year, I just kept asking Sandy, who's been on staff for a while, and Jason, I'm like, I was like, when do I get to be the longest? I said, because I'm competitive. I just want to know I can win. And those of you who've been around here for a while, I'm very excited to text Matt King and Nathan after the service and, and let them know I win. You know, so that's, that's, that's important, you know, uh, to me, you know, when it comes to that. Uh, and Carolina said, so does that mean we get to be done? And so I guess not yet, not yet. We got a little bit, a little bit longer. And so now I get to transition to our message. To today, we get to wrap up our series on relationships. And uh, I think it's been a great series. And so can we thank for a second Dr. John Van Epp for giving us this biblical perspective of relationships. Can we just thank him, you know, for that? Thank you, John. I know you're watching. Really, really appreciate, you know, that time. And, 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 the, and the information we've talked about, we've talked about to know and to trust and rely and to commit is what we talked about last week. And um, I, I want to take a second, um, as you have honored me, um, I don't believe that I'm actually the one that needs to be honored the most on this day. Uh, in fact, uh, I'd like to take a second to, uh, to honor a guy uh, who recently passed away, and his name is uh, Randy Merrill. And uh, they, we got a chance to celebrate, you know, his life this last week. Uh, in fact, uh, Michelle Bonesteel, who is in charge of our kids' uh, ministry and the lead for the early childhood, you know, said the following at his service that I said, please send that to me so I could mention this to you guys. Um, Randy um, served over 15 years um, in the kids' ministry and actually started at Valley Real Life when we were at the high school. He served every Thursday and Sunday morning at 8 a.m., in the babies and toddlers, and was always the first one there with a smile on his face. He had a quiet, calm, and joyful spirit, and his presence in the classroom is truly irreplaceable. Toddlers would enter the room crying from leaving their parents, and as soon as they found Randy and sat on his lap, usually they would calm right down. Some kids clung to Randy. They, were, they would come into the room to find him and knew that while they were at church, Randy was their safe person. One specific parent said this, the main thing that I think about when I think of Randy is him just being a constant and valley real life for our kids. Like I told him the last time I saw him was that he has seen all of my babies go through the classes and taken care of them so my husband and I could grow in our relationship with God as a married couple and as parents. He cared so much for these kids and had such a good heart to serve so diligently. He was a staple in our lives at Valley Real Life, and I'm, I am positive that we aren't the only ones. And so many of you know Randy. Many of you have seen Randy. Many of you have given your kids to Randy. And unfortunately, Randy passed away this last week. But I said, if we're looking at when it comes to impact, when it comes to knowing, trusting, relying, and when it comes to commit, I can't think of anybody, not me, that best represents our church and their commitment to Christ and to the people in this church as it pertains to relationally connecting to our next generation, the kids over these last 15 years, that's Randy. So can we give it up for Randy, you know, and what he's done? <laughs> These are the people that when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's those behind the scenes who do the work that are the most faithful. So today, uh, we get to finish this series not on commit, but we get to finish this series on touch, which I know that so many of you are so excited 
for me to be able to, ch- to talk to you about such a fun subject. You know, I keep thinking, those of you guys who've been around here long enough, uh, I keep thinking, where is Ryan Lingbloom when I need him um, when it comes to being the guy who should be preaching on this? Now, I need to make sure you're wearing, because you didn't hear earlier, whether you're watching at home or you're here, is that we're going to get to the second half of our conversation, and it will become PG-13. And so it's just a kind of a forewarning, you know, for you if you want to take the kids out, and I'll give you just a little bit more when we get to that part, because uh, I just want to make sure you're aware, nothing's shocking, especially if you're watching online and, you know, little Johnny's running through the room, and what did Johnny hear? And so we want to make sure that we're being respectful as much as we can. But the reason it's important is because touch is a core component of how God has created us relationally. It's a core component of who we are. The power of healthy touch cannot be denied when it comes to our relational connection, especially with each other. Specifically, touch provides incredible loving affection and connection in this way. Uh, I don't know if you realize, do you know that uh, when a school teacher pats a student on their back in a very friendly way, not a creepy way, that student is three times more likely to speak up in the class in the future? A pat on the back gives them that much self-confidence and is so powerful that it'll give the child courage to speak up, which may be their personality they normally wouldn't. Uh, Let me tell you something that I never knew that I learned this week. There was actually a study done a few years back that if a waiter appropriately touched you, you'd actually give a bigger tip. They actually studied this. You know, all your food servers, I'm on to you. I'm watching you now because now I'm aware you know, of this. But the study found that if you don't touch your customer, just thanks for coming or glad that you're here, and I understand we're in the age of COVID, and so a lot of that has been reduced, but, so this obviously predates you know, um, our time at COVID. But the study found that if you don't touch your customer, you'll get an average tip of 11.5%. But if you touch them for three seconds or less, you'll get an average tip of over 15%. On average, longer than four seconds, you lose your tip. You know, so I just uh, want to make sure that that's absolutely clear as you move forward. <laughs> now, you know, in families, here's what we know. Moms usually get the, the praise when it comes to families and, and touch. And, and you know, you know, when it comes to touch, it's one of the first senses that, that we experience coming out of, the, out of the womb. It's a bonding, you know, property that takes place, which is why even nowadays, as soon as you give birth, you go right into the mom's chest for that touch-to-touch, that bonding mechanism that begins to happen, that we're wired from the moment we are conceived for this ability and need to touch. We know that when you go through hard times and when you're crying and when you're going through difficulty, it's great to get an encouraging word. It's great to get sympathy or empathy, but there's something even more powerful when somebody puts an arm around you, when they give you a hug, when they lay hands, when they pray. It's when we, we celebrate, when we go through positive things, we want to high five, we want to you know, chest bump you know, in certain situations. Uh, we, you know, we just want to have a great chance to be able to encounter one another, which is why COVID has been so painful for so many for so long. It's because this natural connection that we would have, even with people that are almost strangers, would begin to go away. And dads, we know that for you, it may look different than moms, but we also know that through play, through touch, through wrestling, you know, um, through minor, you know, uh, discipline, you know, that takes place. There's a bonding, you know, that happens between, you know, dads and kids. Now, Steve was uh, speaking a few weeks ago about Easter weekend, last year when the Zags were in the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. 
Steve mentioned to you that he was out on our lawn with the kids and the parents overseeing the Easter eggs, and he mentioned he was feeling guilty about watching the Zag game during that time. Well, let me tell you where I was and how I didn't feel any guilt. I was also on campus, but I ended up in a side room that's called C1 here, and behind me came 40 to 50 people as we packed into C1, while other people like Steve were being holy and ministering to people. We were inside doing what was far more important, watching our zags and how they were doing, and this is what we ended up watching. Again with the ball in his hands, in the paint, floater, short, got it back, ties it with three. Now, as you saw, there was major NCAA violations taking place in the COVID era because the players could not help. Remember on the sidelines, you had to sit six feet apart when they had to go in and check in, and they're like, forget all this and be able to, be able to happen. They're all hugging and touching. Now, if you were in that room with us, there was lots of touching going on. I mean, I was hugging, people were kissing me, I don't even know who they were, I mean, we were holding people up, we were throwing babies back and forth to each other, it was just pandemonium, and so Steve, thank you for ministering to the people out on the lawn, we had our own special worship time, you know, together um, indoors, you know, which God smited us two days later, but that's a whole different conversation. The idea of celebration and touch is such an important thing in our lives. And as it pertains to relationship, it is powerful in friendship and family and neighbors and coworkers and friends, the power of connection that takes place as we touch. Now, as we've talked about, when we know and you trust and you rely and you commit and touch, it should always be on this declining scale of commitment as we've talked about from the beginning, that there's this, there's this thing, that the more that you know and trust and rely on as family members, there should be much appropriate touching taking place. And maybe you grew up in a family where you didn't have that kind of experience. My dad was not much of a toucher, I'll be honest with you. He wasn't, and, and I found myself you know, um, being overly with my boys because I didn't want them. I knew my dad loved me. I, I knew that by, by other things they showed, but he didn't receive a lot of touch from his parents. And so I did, uh, subsequently, it was awkward for him, so he didn't do a lot for me. He said, I'm gonna do the opposite for my kids. And I can tell you, it creates this bond, this connection, this need to be in relation with other people when we go through this idea of touch. Now, um, it was interesting this last week because um, I, I, couldn't re I couldn't figure out why was this subject so hard for, for me to, to come up with some of the you know, uh, appropriate uh, conversations as it pertained to touch according to God's word. And then all of a sudden, it, it took me about three days. But on Tuesday it, it, or Wednesday, I woke up and I was like, I know why. And I bet none of you know why either. And that's why this is all embarrassing. I spoke on this on May 13th. Literally, the message was in a series called Sensing God, how do we sense God? It was seeing and hearing and, and, and tasting, and then there was a whole message on touch. And I'm like, do you understand how demoralizing it is to realize that only five months ago, I don't even know what I talked about. So I know 
that you have no idea. And so if you want to, you can go back and listen to the whole message as it pertains to touch when it comes to our connection with God. In fact, let me give you just a couple, very few of the high points. Like for example, healthy touch is a huge part of the Christian faith. Understand that. Five different times in the New Testament, we see something along these lines. All the brothers and sisters here send their greetings to you, so greet one another with a sacred or a holy kiss. And so it's like a more of a Latin American greeting in our culture, where it's like, you know, cheek to cheek. I remember the first time experiencing that was with Carolina's family. Uh, she's Hispanic, for those of you guys who don't know. Columbia, she was born and raised. And uh, she grew up with a family with nine, ten aunts and uncles. And so when I walked in, it was just amazing, the fiesta that was taking place. And as I walked in, though, I was assaulted time and time and time again. <laughs> Because these little ants of hers, and I'm telling you little, none of them were above five feet tall, you know, would grab me and pull me down and they would, you know, give me a kiss. They wouldn't slap me. They give me a kiss, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, what is going on here? And Caroline just started laughing as she's watching me being way outside my comfort zone. Remember I told you about my dad and not touching? Well, they made up for it, you know, in, uh, in one night. And so, uh, but that was the greeting, you know, that, that takes place. You and I would be like a handshake. You know, how you doing? Maybe a high five when you greet, you know, another person. And we talked about this past May, how touch affects us, not just emotionally, uh, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. In fact, touch was used three primary ways as we look into our Bibles. First is to, to give and to receive a blessing. And so we see this from Jesus in Mark 10, 16, when Jesus took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them because he knew them. He could trust the kids. He relied, he committed, and he was willing to extend touch. Secondly, it's to give or receive spiritual authority. After someone gets baptized, as I said, if, if somebody's experiencing joy or going through hurt, we can pray for somebody, but there's something else when you lay your hands on and you begin to pray. And so then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. We see this time and time and time again. And then lastly, it's to give or receive healing. We see this over and over and over, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. But in Luke 4, 40, it says, as the sun went down that evening, people through the village brought the sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every single one. And so what an opportunity to be the body of Christ in relationship with God and with others to experience and to give this critical component called touch. So what I didn't talk into at May, in May specifically, is what I'm gonna dive into the rest of our time together. Because there's appropriate touch when it comes to friends. There's appropriate touch when it comes to dating. And yes, there is appropriate God-given touch when it comes to marriage. And so this is the PG-13 part. So I just wanna give you this heads up. God's design for healthy sexual touch. What does that look like? Because you would think that one of the best examples is the deepest relationship bonds that we could have is either these long-lasting friendships or a marriage relationship that is supposed to experience this in its full. So remember, there are three things that God says about the bond-building power of healthy sexual touch. And I labored. I said, how much do I talk about this? Do I give the, you know, the child version where you, know, you, 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 you talk weird like synonyms for things? Or you know, do I go full-blown? I, I realized two things. One, we're valley real life, first and foremost. And so we probably should 
really talk about these things. And secondly, it dawned on me, God's not afraid to talk about these things. This is in his word, and so you can take it up with him if you're offended. Okay, so here's what I want you to understand today as it, as it pertains to sexual intimacy in the context specifically of marriage. Number one, when it comes to sexual touch, it is good. Nobody even said amen. That's funny to me. Maybe you grew up in a family, you know, or even a church that said not good, evil, perverted, wrong. God created us as sexual beings. He is the one whose ideal it was to give us this incredible gift. If God created it, then it's good. Now, we may have distorted it. We may have twisted it. We have made it unintended in which God designed it, when especially it comes to outside of marriage, which we'll talk about in a second. But this is good, and it's from him. So we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Think about it for just a second. The very first command that God gave to man and women is to have sex. That's his first command. That's crazy to me. God only know, not only did he create it, he actually commanded it, and he put us in with the ability to actually desire for it. That's what he is. Now, some people have read this passage and said, well, Dan, you know, the only reason that you're supposed to engage, you know, sexually in marriage is to procreate. It's actually to have kids. And actually, there's some wings of religion that actually follow that mindset because they read that and they said, this is God's command, this is the purpose, and this is when and why you're supposed to engage in what he has given. The problem is, there's other verses in the Bible. And these other verses don't follow that same line of thinking. And so we're going to go there. As we go there, in the book of Song of Songs and Song of Solomon, understand this when it comes to it being good, that God is the one who put this married couple together, he's the one that authored it, and he put it in our Bibles. So Song of Psalms chapter 7, verse 7, the husband is talking to his wife very beautifully and very poetically, and it says this, you are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. <laughs> it kills me every time. <laughs> junior high, junior high. And take hold of its fruit. It says, may your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I don't know if anyone is having a Steve Miller band song in their heads right now, but I'm, I, I'm digressing. But this is where he got it from. That's what you need to understand. God has created this. This is what the husband is expressing to his wife. And it's not just on the male side. Ladies, this is what the lady says to her husband. She says, I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded. If the blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates have bloomed, there I will give you my love. And no, I will not reference exactly what all those words mean. You can look at it on your own. Okay? But it is not just getting to know one another. There is a deep connection that happens when it pertains to touch. It is in our holy, sacred Bibles. 
folks, this is good. God created it, and this kind of touch, it's good. But because of how powerful it is, the second thing we need to be aware of, sexual touch has boundaries. It has boundaries. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus says these words, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Maybe you've heard that at wedding ceremonies. See, God created sexual intimacies within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. I didn't design it. I didn't create it. I didn't put the boundaries on it. He did. But when he puts boundaries, it's actually not to hinder us. It's actually to help us experience its intended design and purpose to the full in which it was created. In Hebrews chapter 13, you're going to hear me, for those of you who studied the Bible, you're going to hear me use a few different references to a Bible version called the message version. Because the way in which the message version communicates some other familiar scripture to some of you, it actually then opens our eyes to some of the meaning behind the meaning to really help us grasp what God's word has to say. So in Hebrews 13, 4, it says this, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws firm the line against casual and illicit sex. Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure it's absolutely clear for those of you who are not married or for those of you who have been widowed, marriage is not for everyone. It doesn't mean you are more complete or more fulfilled in your relationship with God and other people if you get married. Because if that's the case, then you've never read our Bibles. Because the most of the New Testament was written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul who never got married. And we're going to read what he said. Do you know who also never got married and was completely con- content and fulfilled in how they were wired and created? Jesus. So if marriage was supposed to be the ultimate expression or the only major connection that we can experience this way, then Jesus would have modeled that for us and gotten married as well. So here's what Paul says when it pertains to marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 9. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish everyone were single just as I am. He says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Those of you married, you're weak. That's what he's saying. Paul is just gently reminded out like this is, well, see, you just were not strong enough. See, God makes it clear that this is because, but if you're going to engage in sexual intimacy, it needs to be done in these parameters. Now, if you're dating, you know, or you're younger, you're going to be at pressure from the world to engage so much sooner than the way that God designed this. And remember, we, we said this. This is the problem that we had, and we said this in week one, is this is what it's going to look like you know, in our culture, is that when people get to know one another, they're often pressured or encouraged, especially in high school, college, young adults, to be like, hey, if you know one another and you have these feelings, then obviously engage physically. Here's the problem for your benefit. You don't know at that point in the relationship if you can trust that person, how much you can trust that person, how much you can rely on that person, and how committed that relationship is. In fact, as we're going to talk about in just a second, here's what we know is that touch is not just a physical act, it's a bonding connection. 
And if it's a bonding connection, do you realize how many people who are dating other people who are engaged in sexual promiscuity who have been and connected to this relationship far longer than they ever would be if sex wasn't involved? Anytime anybody says, oh, we're just friends with benefits or there's no big deal, we're just doing this, that's baloney. Talk to anybody. And you say, that, no, 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 and science proves this, sociology proves this, and most importantly, God's word proves this as well. And so he says, now before you get to this point, the reason that touch is so sacred and you want to have a keep down here on the sexual side of things, you want to go this way, even the uh, Song of Solomon tells us this, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. He's saying, be careful of this. Don't awaken that side. There is a time, there is a place, but I want you to experience how it was made and created. Now, there's some additional boundaries, but also freedom that God gives us within these boundaries. Now, here's what I know. Sometimes people have read different uh, passages of Scripture in the New Testament, and we're about to read one of them, and it's where, where it talks about how, well, you know, your body is not your own anymore. It's mine, and my body is yours. And so basically, and we hear this, you know, sometimes in counseling from guys and gals that says, well, anytime I want to have it, I should have it whenever or how often or however that should be able to take place because you don't belong to you anymore. Yours is mine. And that's a complete mis misinterpretation of what God's word has to say, which is why I love what the message version actually has to say on this. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in the world of sexual disorder. I love how that's written. And then it says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. He's talking about sexually. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Marriage, when it comes to this, when it comes to touch, you're there to serve. It's a way of serving one another, which is one of the designs when it comes to marriage in and of itself. Well, how do we do that? How do we create this kind of atmosphere? The first way is to build an atmosphere of affection, of affection. Don't jump all the way when it comes to touch and understand there's a whole scale with this. There should be a time of affection. In fact, one relationship expert found after years of research and experience in helping couples improve their relationships, get this, it takes 10 meaningful touches a day to heap the couple close and both of them emotionally healthy in their relationship. 10. That could be a hug, a touch on the elbow, holding a hand, an arm, shoulder, cheek to cheek. Every touch is important. This applies to kids as well. How often these little moments of touch create this connection, create this bond, create this friendship, and you see this in the relationship as well. Now, let me just say what this also includes, and this is going to sound an oxymoron to most of us guys. There is something I want to introduce to you guys. It's something called NSTs. It's not a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> NSTs are non-sexual touches. Right now, some of you guys are looking very puzzled, and you're saying, non-sexual touching, what is this strange phenomenon you speak of? I understand. 
It's challenging to understand, guys. Let me give an example. In the Bible, in Genesis 26, verse 8, it says that Isaac is caressing his wife, Rebecca. That Hebrew word is a loving touch. Okay, it is, it, is, it is the rub on the shoulders, it's the pat, it's in a long brace, it's a hold, it's a caress. It is not sexual in nature if you look at that Hebrew word. So guys, when a woman says, when your wife says, I just want to be held, do you know what she's really saying? She's really saying, I want to just be held. I know, it's strange. That is not a cue for you to start putting the moves on. That's actually not what she wants, you know, at that time. In fact, my wife has told me over and over and over, sexual intimacy, Dan, and I need to hear this a lot of times, sexual intimacy, Dan, does not start in the bedroom. She says it starts in the morning over breakfast. Ah, I got some. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was legit <laughs> and true. Ladies, I see it was so funny. You actually, you said it, but all these ladies are nodding, you know, on a regular basis. Why? Because we're there in the confines and the boundaries, you know, when it comes to relationship and marriage, that we understand we're there to serve each other when it pertains to this part of our relationship. Now, you want to know what kills healthy sexual connection, especially in marriages? Pornography and adultery. You know, we're told it enhances it. It, it. it livens things up. And this isn't a newer phenomenon. This is something that was even back in, before even Jesus was around, that God was warning to say, don't go after what you don't already have. Don't get those wandering eyes and don't begin to engage because you're going to destroy all of this if you take this out of its context. And it's so hard to rebuild. You take so much time working on this that it doesn't take long for this aspect of your life to have an effect on the rest of them. Which is why in Proverbs 5, verse 18, it says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. May her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. And I, I know that early on in our day, pornography was, was, was growing up was so much harder to access. You know, it was uh, the dads or uncles or somebody who had the dirty magazines under the beds or there'd be those little flyers that are going around. You didn't have these weird parts of, you know, I know that this is going to date place, but they had something called a video store, you know, um, not Blockbuster because they didn't have those, but these video stores and be like a sec separate section. But now it's all on a device. It's pushed. It's so easily accessible. And so here's what I want to encourage you is to know that there are resources out there to help. And it's not just guys. We know the fastest growing area of pornography is amongst women. You know, and, and so one of the best ways is to admit that this is something that you're engaging because you might realize, wait a minute, what is wrong with my relationship? And it could be because that's taking place in your relationship. Why well, it's affecting the rest of it. And there's nothing more important that you can do than let it be known. To not struggle in the dark by yourself. And here's a couple of resources. One is Every Man's, or if you're raising a young man, Every Young Man's Battle by Steve Arterberg. Phenomenal resource as you kind of walk through that, you know, together. You know, a Pure Desire is also something that we offer, you know, for guys. And we've got Betrayal and Beyond for ladies. We also have Divorce Care, 
Or if you've gone through adultery and you've gone through a divorce, that we want to walk through so that you can experience the healthy way that God has wired and designed dating and relationships in the context of marriage. So God's design for sexual intimacy is first, it is good. Second, it has boundaries, again, for our benefit in the way that he designed. And lastly, and I've already mentioned this, it creates a bond. It creates a bond. Ephesians 5.31 says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That joined together is not we're hanging out together. It's talking about sexual connection. That's what it means to connect, you know, together. You know, it's like what I said before. It's why we know that people, you know, who are engaged, there's this bond. You don't just have a physical act. You're connecting with someone's soul. And so when you engage, you know, with, with people as if it was nothing, there's something that deeper that's happening. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex as as much spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in the scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, who's Jesus, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one. And isn't that true? I love the way the message version puts, you know, God's word in exactly what it says. It is a great translation for these passages. See, God's not trying to keep us from having fun. For those of you, you know, um, who are not married, he's not trying to hold us back. He's actually trying to help us to understand we bond with people. It's way more, because he's, again, how do I know this? Because God created it. So man can try to distort it, man can change it, man can say it's one thing and not. God says, no, no, hey, I'm the creator. I actually know why I made this, you know, and it is good, it has, but you need to have it in its boundaries, just like some other things that are important in our lives. And so as we look at this, and I want you to evaluate, what does this look like in your life? Because like I said, this can affect all the rest at a level that we have no idea. And so we want to take time to evaluate this. And because this is the last of our series, you know, on this day, as we close this lesson on our series, let me just remind you, relationships are really hard. You have to work at all of these things to keep them up because they will naturally tend towards going down. And so you gotta keep a pulse on these things with all the different kinds of relationships. And if you don't put the work in, your relationships will not be what they are meant to be. Remember, it's God's provision plus your effort equals winning relationships. You might remember I started this whole series by reminding us of the Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we looked at a case study and realized that those who seem to have the best relationships are the ones that are most fulfilled and happy. And it's true according to God's word. The deeper you can go in relationship with him and relationship with other people in the way that God designed and friendships and connection, the more content, fulfilled, and truly happy you'll become regardless of the circumstance. See, the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of healthy relationships with God and other people. Philippians 2.5 was our core verse for this whole series. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And my hope is that this has been helpful, that this has been a springboard, that this has been a reminder for wherever you find yourself in life because all of us have relationships and all of us want those relationships to be healthy. Starts with our connection with him and it continues to be exemplified in relationship with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.
for this series. Thank you so much for this conversation. Lord, I just pray that you would just guide and lead our lives. Father, as all of us have struggles in our relationships, and I pray that this would be a moment of true conviction for some in this room and for some who are watching online, that this would be an opportunity for us to just really wrestle in our hearts and minds to be able to confess, maybe to our parents, that we are engaging in things that are not helping our relationships with other people. Maybe it's with our spouses that we need to confess so that we can find health and connection in relationships. And God, I pray for every single person in this room and every person who's watching online that we would start with our relationship with you and that we would recognize that you are the one who created us in the first place and you're the one that makes all this possible. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.